There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are and where we come from. So who are you and where did you come from? So I'm Nicole and I'm from Cronin. And who else? I'm Natasha and I'm originally from Empelia Drive. And then just due to the sensitive nature of the topic that we're going to talk about, we do have somebody, um, we have Mary, and Mary is off camera, but she will be talking and telling us her story as well through this. So, um, Natasha, first of all, you and I got introduced through Instagram, and you sent me a message one day. What did you send me the message about? Um, I just explained that I had recently taken up a post in Foster and Social Work Department, and we were running a recruitment drive, a recruitment campaign for foster carers. The foster carers that we have at the minute, the count is very low so really what we're doing is just trying to put a campaign out there and to remind people of the different types of foster carers and different type of foster care I should say um, and that there are kids in every area that are in vulnerable situations and do need somebody to care for them. Okay and Nicole we'll talk we'll start with you and then Natasha you can jump in and then we'll talk to Mary as well and so this is a very different podcast it's the first one that we've done that I've in, in a long time that I've had a group of people here so there is nerves between us all but we'll get through it okay we will get through it um, Nicole tell me about yourself tell me first of all how old were you went into foster care and the reasons probably why you went into foster care yeah so I was around seven when I went into foster care so it was a bit of a dramatic process that happened all quick and I was quite young so I didn't really remember a lot of it but it would have happened because both of my parents biological parents were heroin users and they had been for my whole life I didn't know really anything different so what had happened was it was a normal day I was in their house they lived in Clondalkin at the time and I the house was always you know it was one of them old houses where you know there was it was real airy, kind of, like there was no carpet on the stairs. It was that thick wood with kind of gaps in between. Mm. It was real, a kind of old house and like that as well. They I mean, they couldn't look after me and allow themselves. So there wasn't, a, it was never really felt like home. It was always like, like a shell of a house, really. So I remember I used to just play out all the time. I'd be very rarely in the house. But when I was in the house, I was always asking, could I bring friends in? Because I felt quite lonely. And I was an only child up until the age of seven anyways, um, until... Um, my biological parents had a new, another sibling anyway for me but like that as well we went up to the house and went up to the bedroom and they were always when I say they sorry my biological parents always in the sitting room I had guests in, in the sitting room and the sitting room was always closed the door was always closed for obvious reasons like now as a grown-up you realize you know what goes on behind closed doors but so I would always brought my friends upstairs so I remember I was upstairs in the room and I like that I don't know it was just funny like 
because there was no carpet I used to always run around my bare feet anyways mm. I suppose the first one of the kind of signs of neglect when I suppose when you look at you know why kids going to foster care you're always thinking of like you know that neglect that lack of clothing or you know the lack of being the care really aspect of it but anyway I used to I was running around the bedroom and I actually stood on one of the heroin needles so it was kind of like down in the gap of the the wooden floor like in their bedroom so I remember stepping on it and straight away I knew I, I heard like the crunch and I knew something was wrong and it was weird because at the age of seven I was already the adult I was already the parent so straight away it wasn't a, a cry and a, my reaction was get these friends out of this house they don't need to see what's going on at here seven. at seven I would have been quite mature yeah yeah and ev- everyone I kind of meet would always say I, I act more mature than I actually am so my first thought was get these out of the house like you know and I can remember so clearly and it's only when you when I look at further down the line when we, when we get to it going to college that you do realize the own psychology that you hang on to that kind of like the well, trauma do you know what it, so. it's just area is seven she's seven yeah. this week and you've I can't no but I can't <laughs> even comprehend her little brain having the thought of going I need to get my friends out here yeah. because I'm in a very serious situation. I know. And when you think back to it, I'm like, how did I even think that quick on the spot? Like, as an adult, I wouldn't be able to think that quick. I'd be screaming. Yeah. I've no pain to our shoulder whatsoever. So my first thought was to get the girls out of the house, so which I did. And then I would have looked for mum straight away. Um, mum would have been kind of my first go-to. She would have been the more sane parent out of the two, if you like, more in our conscious state than, than he would have been. Um, so like that, she... It's actually... It's a bit of a horrible twist to it but she was like straight away or she had that parently instinct she wanted to call the guards wanted to run the ambulance get me safe whereas him on the other hand there wasn't that it was that going we need to get whatever's in this house kind of out of the house or they're gonna you're gonna have people speculating or we don't want to draw attention to the house and stuff like that but she was adamant and I remember as a child I don't remember what she said but I remember the look and the fear in her face kind of going no like this is our child like we need to and it was kind of the first time I'd kind of seen that parently instinct in her now she was more than him like I mean she like you know if, if there was days where I hadn't been fed she'd always come home with something for me in her pocket or it's like you know if there was that kind of poverty aspect there and I can remember like you know I can remember giving me treats and stuff you know that kind of way you're having stuff so there for me just bring it back for me right because I know we want to get the points across and yeah. um, but also like talk talk to me about the fact like if you didn't eat where did you go like did was there schools like you know what see I don't remember going to like going to school a lot I don't personally from what I remember from my foster care telling me my foster mom I call her mom by the way so that's why I don't want to confuse people on here but I do call my foster mom mom um like she would have told me that you know I would have been quite behind in school I would have only basically started school in first class when I was seven with them straight into first class in a new school because my attendance was that poor that I even to today it sounds very silly and people are gonna laugh at me but I struggle to tell the time I like everything has to be digital for me because like that I would have missed out on them you know them imperative kind of years of telling time numbers numbers and maths to me is just absolutely terrible I work in a school and I'm like I could never be a teacher because mm. I can't do maths mm. even the senior infant level but um yeah so don't I'm, ever worry about people laughing at you yeah <laughs> like do you know what I mean don't ever worry about people laughing. you've been through so fucking much yeah like don't ever worry about people I laughing know. at you no it's more even that like my when I say my sisters because obviously I, I 
I haven't said it yet, but I come from a big family mm. of foster siblings, but they're my siblings, and like they they just slag me all the time. Nicole, what time is it? Can you tell? Look at that mm. clock there, and they tease it and torment it on me. But um, I know it's from a loving place. There, mm. but um, yeah. So like that, I don't I don't really remember to be honest with you. And a lot of that though, from my studies now, I realise that it, it's trauma and the brain, the way the brain works, that the brain hides a lot of the a lot like because the trauma takes over the brain hides a lot like even my foster care was showing me pictures and stuff like I'd be like I don't remember that but yeah I remember stepping on that needle and that day and everything that happened the smell of the house the noise of the do you remember the smell of the house yeah I can remember the smell of the house it always it always smelled like that stale cigarette like a pub like walking into a pub and like a stale cigarette um, but I can always remember the smell. And how does it affect you when you smell? Do you, do you get the smell now? If, like if you walked in somewhere, if you got that smell, how would you react to it? Do you know what? Not so much. I used to. It used to affect me. Like I suppose, like in my teens, I'd be like, "Get that smell going. Where did that come from?" But I think, honest to God, hand on heart, I do think have obviously having the love and foster carers and family that I have. And from going to college myself and learning all about it, that I just have more of an understanding now mm. that nearly the nostalgia of the smell is nearly, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go as far as saying comforting, but I'm like, that makes sense to me now. Why okay. I'd, you know, recognise the smell and stuff, mm. yeah. But, um, so yeah, so the ambulance was called and I would have, Tusa would have come to the hospital. They would have been brought in from attention um, into the hospital and would have been signed straight into, into care from that day. On, yeah. And had they ever been around before? Had anyone reported your mum and dad? Had anyone? Not that I'm not that I'm aware of. No, mm. but I couldn't see why not. You know, it was the house where people kind of always came and went. You know that kind of way. Um. So I'm not too sure to be honest with you, but I, I couldn't see I couldn't see why not. They were known in the area, you know, really? and and you know in the area as well. Like you know, heroin use was quite prevalent as well. So oh, really, yeah. And it, do you know what? It's beyond me. Natasha's phone is going off too. Um, That's a reminder to give me son as medicine. Oh, <laughs> Will it go off all the time now? I need to turn it off. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. I'll just get um, Paul to come down. And where is it? And I'll get it. Hang on. It's in my pocket. I'll get it, dear. Don't worry. I'll get it. Sorry, I should have made sure. That's what you're like, here it is, is this it? Yeah. There we go. I thought it was in my pocket. Yeah, don't worry. These things happen, lads, we're live <laughs> recording, so we're fine. Um, so I'm just going to, again, let's just continue there now with it. Um, so you said there before that, though, you said about your, your dad wanting to run around and clean the house, like clean the gear mm. out of the house and stuff like that. Did he? Like, is that what he did and... To be honest with you, it's all blank from there. I just remember, you know, and I suppose I think the reason why my mom would like my biological mom, like her response that would stick to me is because it was the only kind of time where I'd had that little bit of comfort and love. I was like, she actually does care, like she wants to, you know, help me. So I always kind of clung to that moment. So it would always it was always blank until then, until I met, you know, my foster parents. My guardian angels. <laughs> Is that what you call them? That's what I call them. And before we go on with that, like I just think you said there, Natasha, uh, sorry, Nicole, you said it, and I just wanted to ask both Mary and Natasha, is it a case that with children going into care, are they always like little adults? Because they have to be. Generally, yeah. I'd be different. I took in one as a baby. Okay. So he's grown with us. You know, he's four now, so he's grown with us. We've taken him in as a baby, um, but I've never looked back. Really? Do you know, like, well, he's blended into the family now. He's part of the family. 
I wouldn't even look on her as I'm fostering. Mm. I just look on him as he's part of the family. I'd never, I just never think of fostering him. It's it's just he's part of the family. And you said earlier on about the joy that he brings, because we just have to be really careful with your story, because as we said, for confidentiality reasons, but just the bro- the joy that he brings into your life. Oh, definitely. Since the day came in, yeah, def. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way now. Do you know what I mean? Thought was finished right now, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But in saying that, I'd do it all over again. Would you? Yeah. And definitely. did you ever think of um, fostering before he came along? No. I had a career, a great little career on the path. I even had a pension. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I had a career. So as far as I was concerned, my kids were reared and I was just going to have grandchildren and that was the end of it. But um, I didn't think I'd be rearing mm. the grandson. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but things happened and... He came into our life and he landed on my doorstep, basically. Mm. Um, who said you don't have to leave home for a baby? Mm. But uh, he landed on the doorstep and, as I say, we've never looked back. We don't look at him. I don't look at him as, as being fostered. The people in the house the where we live don't look at him as being fostered. He's just one of us now. And does he call you nanny? Yeah, yeah. definitely. He calls me nanny. But yeah. I have a younger daughter and he calls her mummy. Ah, oh, Okay. But he has to have somebody to call my meet, you know what I mean? So, because she already has somebody, a child, mm-hmm. and he's listening to that child calling her mommy. So, and that's because he's grew up with us from a baby, a yeah. brand new baby. Um, just always took it that that's his mommy. You know, as I says, we don't look at that as fostering at all. That's mad. It's that, just, it shows how you can, how a baby's brain can be, you know, shaped and moulded and if they know no different mm-hmm. and they're welcomed and any any of the foster parents that I've been in touch with over the last couple of months, they would all say the same thing, very much what you say to me all the time, Nicole, it's, they're not my foster family, they're my family mm-hmm. and everybody, mm-hmm. you know, that I've come across, anybody that I've had contact with or even picked up the phone to check in with mm. they very much say the same you know the part of the family we don't see it as in you know we wouldn't describe them as this is their foster child mm. it'd be this is their mm. these are our children um very much so and mary does your daughter live in the house which is oh we all yeah we're all there yeah. together yeah yeah <laughs> and then so if i like if she was to move out or anything like that on him like god She'd not go on anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'd try to get her out. It didn't happen. Let me tell you. No, no. It's not. Uh, no. And um, we've spoke about that, you know, mm. if, if she, because like that, she has her own child. Mm. So if they ever got their own place, but she says, no, ma, I'm not going anywhere. I couldn't. I couldn't leave him behind, she said, you know. And then she wouldn't be taking him with him because I'd have a heart attack. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So it's just a win win that it's working out perfect and under the, you know, under the roof, like the way we go to things. Yeah. We've everything sorted down to a tea, you know what I mean? So things just... But we'd never, ever consider him as being fostered. And like that, we never tell anybody, like, oh, you know, I have him fostered. Yeah. Never, ever. He's just my grandson, and that's the end of it. And then would you say to... And I'll come back to Nicole to you in a few minutes. What would you say to anyone else out there? Like, he was obviously very lucky that his nanny stepped in. Do you know what I mean? So, like, if anyone else is out there in your own age, and we won't say how old you are but you're a granny I'm old (laughs) (laughs) but would you say like because I think um, unfortunately fortunately in Ireland right now people like myself 
my, I rely so heavily on, on the grandparents to mind my children to bring them to school and exactly. after school and all that. So we're all in a situation like that. So I think then if I said to my, my mother-in-law, you can have them for two weeks, she'd probably throw them back at me. <laughs> but what is it like, what would you say to other women your own age? Like say, would you go, like to do this if this kind of landed at their door? Is it like, is it hard? It was hard at the very beginning under the circumstances in which he was born and stuff. Um, he was a child that never slept, that cried constantly, and um, was hospitalised after his birth, you know, and stuff like that for quite a while. Um, so when we got him home, it was sleepless nights. This child just didn't know what sleep was. So we we done everything possibly what we were taught. You know, we went for, I saw help. You know, there is help out there, the sleep clinics, so, you know. Mm-hmm. And we saw help, we got the help we needed, and it's only now lately, to be honest, which is probably the past year, that he's actually sleeping. But he never slept. We had to rotate sleep. Um, My daughter do say the night, so to speak, but I'd get up, say, about four or five. I'd take over to let her go to bed for a few hours because she has to go to work, Mm -hmm. so I'd have the baby all day. But I have a good family support unit. So they take her for a few hours during the day while I got the house done, you know, and little bits done. So he has a lot of support there. Right. You know what I mean? He does, they say does, it takes a, a village to raise a child. Mm. Yeah, and I do believe it because I'd say without the support, also I had the support from Tusla and um, between key workers and social workers and, you know, home visits and stuff. I had all that and that did help, you know. They are there at the end of a phone line to sleep, you know, regardless what hour of the day, at night you're ringing and they are, and they are good for the help, but they were for me anyway, like, but um, I'd say, yeah, go for it. Mm-hmm. Now, if someone had said this to me probably five years ago, I'd have probably laughed at you, say, mm-hmm. no, I'm, I'm done, I'm rare, like, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? But um, now, I just wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't even know what life be like without him. In the house, like, do you know what I mean? Like, if he's gone for a few hours, it's so quiet. (laughs) Jesus, what do I do? You know what I mean? Like, I'm lost kind of thing. Mm. So now it's probably even gotten to the stage where I need him more than he needs me. (laughs) A new lease of life. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Probably a midlife crisis. I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, no, I'd never look back. And I I would say, yeah, go for it. Go for it. It's, It's the love that you give and it's the love that you get back. Mm-hmm. You know, he's very loving, very, very loving um, and grateful, no matter what you buy him. It's, oh, thanks, nanny, thanks, nanny, mm-hmm. you know, and, but um, yeah, I'd definitely go for it, definitely. I've no room in the house anymore, yeah. if I had, <laughs> yeah. I probably would have And I'm sure down. they probably asked, have they, Mary? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but like that, I've no room at the moment, do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I'd say I would do if I had the room, you have to have the room. Yeah. You know, they have to have their own room and stuff like that. But yeah, I'd go for it, definitely. Mm. Okay, brilliant. And come here, let's go back then to Nicole. So Nicole, bring it back. So that day in the hospital, because um, Mary, I think, going to have a heart attack by asking her a question. <laughs> <laughs> um, going back to the day in the hospital then, and then what happened? Like, in that moment, what, what happens? Like, you know, who the hospital ring and say what? I suppose it would have been under the circumstances because, mm. you know, of, you know, the, the heroin needles. So obviously, there's a sign of mm. drug drug abuse in the, in the home. I'm sure then school, I know, I don't know what the certain rules are, but I know when a child misses a certain amount of days in school, two are informed. 
Um, so like that, there could have been visits to the house that I was been on to, to be honest with you. Um, but like that, I just, that's that's as far as my memory goes. It's like mm. then, that's when my life kind of began. And like, that's when I started. But I also forgot to mention that in between that, I did have, so my younger sibling was a couple of months old in the house at the time. Um, so I think that was my biggest fear, obviously, was, as we said, getting them out, getting the friends out of the house, you know, working with mom and then when I got to the hospital and the fear started sinking going okay it looks like I'm going somewhere else and she's been left behind and that was my biggest fear because at the age of seven I was also and it's funny because I don't remember this but this is what what I'm told through mm. like family members that would have visited me and stuff like that that I would have you know at the age of seven when she was a couple of months old I would have you know been making the bolts but I would have put you know litre of milk from yeah. from the fridge into yeah. a bottle put it in the microwave yeah. heat up for it and she would have been fed like that you know that kind of way but like that I was lucky enough then that she only remained with my biological parents for a couple of months and she was put into relative care with my granny okay. so with so my dad's my biological dad's mom which I was thankful for then but like that I was just it was the fear you know, my foster mom was very good when she first got me. She would have bought me a little phone. It was a Nokia at the time, I remember. She even bought me a little groovy chick cover, cover case for oh it and God. stuff. So like that, I could ring and mm. say, oh, how's my sister doing? And can you put her on the phone? No. The baby was a few months old. Yeah. Like, just to hear that and to kind of check in. So once I kind of knew where she was going to be and where she, that she got kind of like, at the time, it was like a new home, the kind of, the relief kind of sat in because I was thinking going... I know what goes on in the home. I know that, you know, if both of them are asleep, which I used to call asleep, even though at the time I knew it was when they were, you know, out of it and they mm-hmm. couldn't look after me. I was looking after my sibling and it's like, who's if I'm not there, who's going to be there? I think that's what killed me the most. It wasn't even leaving my biological parents. It was known that this vulnerable little child is there with no one to care for. So um, you're a vulnerable child. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, I talk yeah. about it as if, yeah, I was seven. So, yeah, but like that, that's where my kind of parental role would have kind of kicked in that I would have been a parent to my parents and a parent to my sibling as well so and I think even still to today I've t- I'm in touch with my biological mom, and I'd still we'd have to be friends or I'd be the parent we've no there's still no boundary there you know yeah. still you know looking to me for advice rather than me looking to her for advice and we'll come on to that in a minute because I really want to know about that as well um tell me then like these people arrive mm-hmm. that you don't know and you go to the house like mm-hmm. is as a seven-year-old like I don't even know do you remember it I don't remember it, to be honest with you now but I do you know remember the love and the warmth mm-hmm. and the the welcome that I got now these beautiful people my foster parents have like very similar to Mary they were in their late 50s they had raised seven children of their own and took me in so they were definitely finished with their rearing <laughs> and like they had to start all over again with me sending me to school the uniforms the lunches and everything else and I just like would have never felt more welcome you know I mean at this at the time forgive my maths as I said mm. at the time when they took me their youngest would have been maybe about to leave secondary school so yeah, there's a, there's a good gap between us. So like that, they were they were basically finished, you know. But like that, they even welcomed me. So there's five girls and two boys. Okay. So the girls would have really like you know dressed me up, did my hair, brought me out in the pram, showed me around, you know. 
they would have really like brought me around if I was their doll like mm. you know and showed me around and stuff but yeah like I think I like that I think from being an adult so early on that I just adapted really well like I feel like I did mm. like even the new school the new uniform I was actually excited for the first start mm. I was excited to make friends and no one to know who I am or to be like oh that's the girl that gets left outside the school gates till all hours or you know you know so I just yeah I, I enjoyed it and I, even though it should be for a child it should be harder to start in first class like you know yeah. when everyone know, has known each other since junior mm. infants but it was actually fine I felt like I slotted in very well but then again obviously you have when foster care comes into it then so you don't necessarily have that normal that normal life you know you still have your access visits come into it you have visits to the home you know so tell me about that mm. so obviously biological parents are entitled to see their children when they're in foster care so you know there needs to be that some sort of you know relationship between foster parents and the biological parents as well because at the end of the day I, I'm their daughter like so um, access would have happened for me every Wednesday so where it would have been at the time where a social worker for two slick came to my home which is my foster home and take taking me to say we would have called it the balls at the time so taking me to like you know a play area to meet my biological parents for an hour get some food and then that'd be it so it'd be once a week kind of for an hour so as Did you can they imagine up? um not all the time but most times most mm. times yeah if it wasn't the two of them together it was at least ma'am you know definitely um but like that if it I suppose as I got older you know Wednesdays got more busy for me and I had homework and I had things to do and you reschedule and you adapt and stuff but I suppose foster care would have been a bit more stricter when I was in foster care compared to when my sister was in foster care you know I think um in terms of like you know everyone had to be guarded vetted and you know I couldn't go over to a friend's house after school without their parents being guarded vetted but I think there's more of a leniency around that now in terms of like only Natasha my more insight is like only you know if you're spending an overnight with someone they have to be guarded vetted you know whereas back then when I was in care it was that if I was to even go to do homework in a friend's house after school you know the friend's mom had to be vetted and I didn't really want to tell people you know I wouldn't ask that of someone I was like even to my mom my foster mom I was like I couldn't ask her mom to sign that paper like that's not right and yeah. you know my guard of does look into quite it's it's quite a personal form to fill out and mm. um, so I could never ask that so I mean it was more stricter but yeah go back to the access then um I don't mean to cut across you no, but something fine. just popped into my head and I had we had we were having this conversation during the week in the office and we were talking about when somebody says they're adopted yeah people automatically think oh god are you what's that like Whereas I think if you said to somebody, and I know I've I worked for twenty one years in children's residential services, mm. so I know I know how they live, and I know that kind of fear that they carry. That when they say they're in care, they're nearly mm. stigmatized. Yeah, there's definitely. a different um, there's a different element to somebody saying they're in care or mm. and they've been adopted, and they are two very different yeah. types yeah. of you know joining another family, mm. but. When you say you're in care, it's nearly like a dirty word. It is. Yeah. It's nearly like lack of care. Yeah, like, like, I'm here yeah. because I wasn't yeah. cared for. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's like that you said, you say, I'm, a, I'm adopted. And they go, oh, God, what just yeah. do You know, God, yeah. is your mum and dad dead? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, God. But like, you know, and it's pity. It's like, but when you say you're in care, yeah, it's a stigma. It's yeah. it's a there's a more like something behind it yeah. with people that they kind of don't, don't want to, they don't want to ask the question why. Yeah. Whereas with do- adopted, I think... Yeah, 
I think that's kind of what pushed me as well you know it's not to be that sadistic or that stigma or just because like I, I wasn't on heroin that's their story to tell mm. you know I'm telling my story because that's the start to my story but it's not the end and it's not I just didn't want to follow in any of the footsteps like to the term where I don't drink I don't smoke I don't you know anything of them kind of addictive behaviors you have to kind of think you know so Do you? well I would have I would have been like no like to the extent where I you know would have gone on contraception from the age of 16 and when I didn't even have a boyfriend hadn't met my partner now mm. until I was 18 but like that I was just just a fear I was like I just cannot end up like this mm-hmm. I can't you know and god don't get me wrong in my <sighs> career I have a lot of empathy for them mm. I really do and you know it is an illness I do see addiction as an illness and some people get out of it some people don't and I do you know I really feel sorry for them um but then I have to you know it's just, I know it, was, it wasn't a lifestyle. I, I seen it. I witnessed it mm. firsthand. And I just, it's not a lifestyle that I would have wanted to, to choose or go down. So it was more like, I have to be the opposite of this. Mm. But in a positive way, because yeah. I was motivated to, you know, to yeah. keep going yeah. on as well. So, And then I want to ask uh, Mary, like, will you tell him now that he's fostered? Or, and then on to that, will you go on and adopt him? Is that a bad question to ask you? Can I ask that question? No. Um, would I tell him that he's fostered? Yeah. But he's only five now. Mm. Um, he's only five now. Um, he's too young to comprehend anything. As I said, he already calls the daughter mammy. So mm. as far as he's concerned, you know, I don't see it should make a difference to him. Mm. You know, he's still well loved and he'll be still living there and his mm. life will still go on as normal and stuff mm. for him. But yeah, I would probably feel the need, I'd have to tell him as he gets older, when I feel the time is right for him, yeah, I will tell him. And is his biological parents still alive? Um, mother is not, father is. Okay. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then, will you go on to adopt him? No, because his daddy's still alive. His daddy, like that, has yeah. visiting, you know, access. A, yeah. a lot of he has a lot of access because the child is in the family home, yeah, and the son still comes down all the time. So there's a lot of access there, right? You know what I mean? As I always says, he loves him. He loves him dearly. He just hasn't got the time for him as mm-hmm. such. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? The hour a week and that. You know, do. well, yeah, yeah. I'd say so, but he is there every day, you know, and stuff. Um, mm. But like that, it's it, it's the drug issue, mm-hmm. you know, around the access and the stuff. And, and you know, it does an awful lot to it. Um, but he, ha- he does have access uh, to visiting rights, just not to take him out and stuff. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But yeah, he's there 100 times a day, you know. Mm. But he's in new, in new, in new. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And then again, Nicole, that you were saying there about school. So, like... Did you tell your friends about that that you're in care? Um, I don't think I would have told my friends till I got to secondary school, mm. and I was lucky enough to be with the same group all the way up. Like we went from the primary into the secondary together, um, and like that there was, it wasn't a big thing, and I think as well I'd done a lot of play therapy, so I would have been referred to a play therapist, um, to be told, but at the age of seven, you know why I'm in care. And what led to me being in care, and they kind of describe it as, you know, mommy and daddy were sick, and they couldn't look after you, and um, stuff like that. So I think from the play therapy, and from, you know, my, the training that my 
you know foster parents would have got to help me through explaining that to me as well just help me just oh I just would have talked about it freely like that would nearly shock people I'd be like yeah but that's me Amanda yeah that's them that's because they would always wonder what like oh is that your nanny and granda I'm like no that's my Amanda because yeah. they were that bit older yeah. you know yeah. they would have been like a, yeah they would have been older parents so by the time I got into secondary school they were in their 60s you know and you see that trend that you talk about there is that given by Tulsa at the, the play therapy is that services that's offered generally if if there is a need for it that mm. they would be kind of saw privately um if if the need is there yeah and then as a teenager did you ever act out like did you ever say say why me or feel sorry for yourself oh all the time did you? all the time mm. and like that I would they would have like my sisters and my siblings they call me like you know you were you were a cheeky bitch you were yeah. like you know <laughs> but then again like I, I probably was, but then again, I was a normal teenager too. Like, mm. I was just like any other teenager, having a lash out, going through the hormones, you know, that kind of way. But um, but I suppose when you do look at it, you know, in later life, you're like, right, there there was stuff there. You were thinking about, you know, why you're here. And even though I knew it was the best possible thing that could ever happen to me being there, but then you think of going, why did I have this start? And, you know, and why does my life have to be so complicated? And then I suppose... Um, you know, when you're allocated a social a foster and care worker as well or a link worker that comes to the, the house to check in, see if everything's fine and, you know, what do you need, what you don't need. And, you know, if there's a new one on duty, you're constantly, as I felt like in my teenage years, because of the, you know, the rollover of different social workers, I would have had to tell my story over and over and over again. Um, so that would have really frustrated me, you know, um, as a teenager and stuff, because the more I heard it out loud, the more... You know, I kind of started to think like, you know, I just don't want this. This isn't me. This is this is what I'm telling you why I'm here, but it's not who I am now and stuff. And um, so that would have really frustrated me as well. It was um, it was like the having to tell the story over and over again. And then I suppose a lot of the lashing out and the acting up, my by my parents, like my foster parents, would have noticed. Would have been after access as well. Really? You know, yeah. But I suppose that comes up a lot for for foster yeah, children, doesn't it? It's yeah. after access. It's the coming home. It's the, to like it's the happy pretend hour, and then you go home and you're back to reality. Even though it's your wonderful reality, mm. it's like why weren't they like that when I was with them? You know that like you know why couldn't they be this cognitive or in tune when I was there to look after me? And then you start you know then you start to think you know why I am in care like why why they couldn't look after me then but they look like they could now and you start asking yourself those questions but. Like that, that they'd fade. Like a teenager, they'd fade. And something else would come up and you'd be crying over something else. Mm. And you said that, like, play pretend for that. How long does that go on for? Does that go right up until they're 16? or Adults. 18. Adults, 18. Well, yeah. I would have probably stopped it earlier now. And I yeah. think... A, I don't want to say a lot of kids do, but... Generally, I think when they hit them teenage years... Life gets easier. Yeah. yeah. Like, schoolwork got heavier on a Wednesday... I would have been, you know, my foster parents would have encouraged me to do like all after after school activities. So I would have had either volleyball or tennis or something after school on a Wednesday. And Wednesday just didn't suit. So I turned it to kind of every second Wednesday. Mm. And then eventually it would fade out. And, you know, I suppose if, well, in my situation, so if a biological parent starts a detox program and gets clean, and um, they can have what's called unsupervised access. So my biological dad would have got clean first and he would be able to just text the foster care and say, can I take Nicole out for the day or an hour? What day suits you? Let me know. And they can kind of correspond back and forth. But unfortunately, mum didn't have that. So it had to be arranged through Tusla. 
and to the foster and social worker. So um, like that, the kind of st- more structured one would have taken a little bit of a backseat mm. because like that, it was only stuck to one day in a certain mm. hour, whereas dad can kind of not freely come and go because I wouldn't have seen him that very often, that often, but would have had more control of to kind of just grab her for an hour, throw in the it car and we go out. Yeah. And did you want to go out with him? Um, yeah, I would have always, I was, I was the typical daddy's girl, cry of the love, wanted the attention, you know, I think most of my um, frustrations would have come from him, you know, because mom, it's funny when you think of it, but mom, I would have always think of as a friend, like, you know, she's always, she's, she was, you could talk to her as a friend, but I knew that I was never going to get that like motherly kind of instinct offer at during that time, it was more of a friend and we could have a laugh together and you know, she'd ask you about boys, or she'd ask you about like how school was, or you know, are you getting your nails done, your hair done? Whereas I think Dad would have been a big one for me. He would have, yeah, would have really craved his love and attention, and you know, and am I doing well in this? And oh, I got this in a test, and you know, really wanted to impress, impress there. But unfortunately, as an adult, um, we don't have that contact anymore, and I suppose I just wasn't good enough. Well, that's how I see it, anyway. But look, I suppose there's there's other don't issues there. Yeah, don't say that. That's terrible. That's terrible. Don't. No, no don't. <laughs> you won't hear yourself. Don't. No, don't. You know, that's, don't say that. Don't ever say that about yourself. Honestly, Nicole. Don't. Because you're, you're fabulous sitting here in front of me. I'm listening to you articulate. Your English language is so much better than mine. <laughs> Honestly, don't ever. <laughs> Sorry, it was always the, you know, the not known why. Don't. You know, and I always would have got to me, you know, I just would have felt like I was constantly... For myself as well, you know, just to be this successful person. And you think, you know, when your child has, you know, achieved so much, mm-hmm. that there be some sense of like, you know, oh God, I'm proud. Like, you know, I'm glad she was taken away from me and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I'll ever, I'll ever get that kind of closure. But I just think I'm an adult now and I need to focus on myself. But I haven't spoken about my years, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and even my foster family would tread lightly, you know, speaking about them in the house and stuff. But, um, geez, I haven't even cried over them in years either. So it's just, you know, when you're speaking and it all just come out because, um, because like that, I just, I had to stop myself even thinking about them, you know, because I'd asked myself why so many times. But I was like, Nicole, you're just not going to get an answer. And, you know, fr- I have one friend, one really good friend, and I talked to her all the time. And she was like, you know, maybe Nicole, she got, I don't mean to pry, she said, but maybe, you know, seeing you and where you are just reminds him of a time in his life that was dark and I never thought about it like that but then again I had to think as to myself I was like but that's not my fault you know just because I would remind someone you know and I still don't know like that it's still speculation and stuff but um but yeah now he has he has his life now and I do I suppose there's still a, la- a lack a little lack of forgiveness there but I do wish him all the best so I really do yeah, but you know what? You're entitled to that, you know what I mean? And the yeah. thing is, I think in a lot of things in life, I think we say, you know, if someone's done well, or, and if, like your sibling even now, and say someone's done well and the sibling's not done as well, mm. that's not your fault. Yeah. And yeah, you, you do carry that. You carry that, you know, what, what like, you know, what, what have I done wrong on them? Yeah. What, what did I do to deserve that? What, and I think it's more, if it, like, say, for example, if your daughter came in with a picture from school yeah. and she's like, ma'am, look at this, or yeah. I got student of the week and you just, you blow it up. And I suppose I would get that a lot from my foster parents, anything I did, mm. if it was like, I coloured inside the lines. It was a big <laughs> celebration in the house and it was everything, like, mm. you know, and it was showing the neighbours, it was up on the fridge for two weeks, you know, mm. it was everything. 
Whereas I think when you have, I suppose because I didn't have that relationship really there, like that bit of being like the hour a week, you know, I think it was just more, I just, I was expecting that nearly of him because mm. that's what I know, I'd known parents to be mm. and the reaction mm. to be, you know, and mm. I think it's just, it was growing up in that love and home and but like that growing up and going through college myself and, you know, studying social care and looking into psychology, you know, I do, you know, I'm a big believer that when people go through their detox and go into rehab, that they're taken back to a time when they first started using and it's like they start their, their their life from there and I have a big understanding of it and I've, you know I've really looked into heroin and the effects it has on the brain and like how you know when you do detox from a drug how you can kind of actually lose cells of the brain due to them being destroyed from it so I do like I have a lot of empathy there and I really do but um I think you know having no contact with your child is is still like flabbergasting me I could never mm. see like you know, I couldn't see why someone wouldn't want to know how their child even is. But I suppose that's a different story for another day. <laughs> and uh, your mum and dad, your biological parents, are they together? No, they're no. not together. No, they're separated. Yeah. And your mum, do you still have contact with your mum? I do, yeah, all the time. Yeah, she, mm. she never stops. <laughs> I know I love her. I do. I love her to death. She's, she is. And I've, I've really a lot, of, a lot of sympathy for her and I feel for her and I know what she's been through. And, you know, I can really understand the choices she made and why she made them because of what she had been through in life you know it, her life was tough and I can really understand that as an adult like you know I don't know how like her strength I think I I get a bit of some of her strengths mm-hmm. from her like you know being so resilient and stuff I think I just get that from her Um, like that obviously there was times where I resented her for you know putting me in that position but at the end of the day I think just more as I've grown I've just more grown to like know her as the woman she is today you know and build that kind of relationship back up have you ever so. asked her about your dad yeah and like that as well it's it's a bit difficult that way because she would see him as the ex-boyfriend mm. and like that going back to the boundaries then again of you know having you know mom as more of a friend as a mom you know she nearly crossed the boundaries there and be like mm. you know this fecker or whatever this and that mm. so um i take away a pinch of salt you know that kind of way but she yeah, don't you would never want to give out to her and say stop <laughs> no mm. i know and that's why people actually laugh at me they're like how do you even listen to her because i just sit back and listen mm. to her but no i do I've, i have a lot of love for her i do you know and she's had a she's had a tough life and she's she's making a little life for for herself now and i'm, I'm very proud of her and the woman she is definitely it's just taking back what you're saying about you know the different types of foster carers that there is foster carers is that what I'm yeah, saying foster care. Mm-hmm. care that there is um and when I did Patrick James's podcast with him it was actually after Patrick when I listened to Patrick's yeah. podcast mm-hmm. that I sent the email to Paul yeah because it broke my heart because it was and I knew what was coming I knew like he said that he had um his brother was fostered as a baby and um, his mum made a decision not to take the baby out of the home that he was in. And I knew that was coming because, like, as a mother's love, I, I just felt, <gasps> but I knew that was the right choice yeah. for that child at the time. So it's just, Natasha, I just think, you know, people who go through the system and then people who get themselves clean or, do, you know, whether it's, it's always, is it always drugs or is there... No, there's different reasons. Um, again, I don't think I'd be too qualified now to mm. kind of fill them in. But like, there's there's diff- varying different reasons why why young people come into care. Uh, generally, like, there's 
drugs would play a big part of it. Mm. Um, and I think we're of an age nearly, of a certain age, I suppose, that there is, unfortunately, a lot of grandparents looking after, mm. doing relative mm. foster care. Mm. Um, because of the drug ep- epidemic that we did have. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not to say that, you know, there's still there's still like kids out there that mm-hmm. their parents are not using or, you know, don't have a drug addiction, but that they just need that little bit of extra support. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where... I'm only doing this since June, so, like, the, the importance, I suppose, what I've taken from it is about the different types of foster care and how mm-hmm. people within... What struck me as well as, like... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We Tuesla at the minute, we're really aiming and what we're trying to do is keep children within their communities. Mm. So that's why we're kind of, you know, rest by foster care and day foster care and short-term foster care and that if you think there's a family out there that you think you know you're kind of looking at and you're seeing them Mm -hmm. on a daily basis and you think you might be able to help that family because the mommy might be struggling you know Mm -hmm. she might have a little bit mental some small mental health issues or she might have a large family family unable to cope (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. you know so it's it's for varying different reasons uh, and I suppose that's really why we're doing what we're doing now is to, you know, we're looking for foster carers in Dublin. We're trying to keep kids within their own own community so they don't have to leave their schools. They don't have to leave their, their football clubs or their after school mm-hmm. clubs or their football clubs or whatever it may be, you know, that there might be somebody within your own area that you may and that's not to say that you don't pick up the phone kind Mm. of you know if you are if it fostering is something that you're interested Mm. in you know i'll give out details later Mm. on Mm. um but like 
if if fostering was something that you were ever interested in, um, I would just urge people to pick up the phone. If you think you can give a child, you know, half mm-hmm. of what Nicole has received from her from her parents, like you, you just have to look at her. You know, mm-hmm. she's amazing. And and the you know we're brand Tusla brand at the minute. Like fostering is raise. I am raising amazing. And it's about just putting it out there uh, how amazing these kids and how resilient these kids are. How many kids are in the foster system, do we know? Oh, Nicole has. Nicole, they Nicole, there, yeah. they, okay. So it's 5,825 kids in care in Ireland. That's since the end of August, August. this year. Yeah. What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that's huge, yeah. isn't it? I actually have the... The amount of foster. The care. amount that are in the different types of care as well. Because like that, it was it was shocking to me too. That's huge. Um, it's a big number. <laughs> and Mary, like we we're saying there about the respite. So if say like if Mary was struggling and there's respite foster care then yeah. as well, is there? So there could be like respite foster carers that would provide respite for foster carers. Right. Okay. If that makes sense, mm. you know. Um but there's also then respite foster care where you may have a family that might need that small short space of time just to kind of gather their thoughts or, you know, get themselves ready again, be it for a weekend, be it for four days, be it for however long it is. Yeah, so I have heard that there's 5,000, as we said, 5,825 children in care since the end of August 21. 65% of those kids are in general foster care, so they're within the system. 25% 25% are in relative foster care, so with the likes of Mary's situation, and 8% are in residential care then, so they're residential care homes, yeah. where Natasha would have most of her experience in as well. And then 2% are in other care placements, um, which the other care placements are quite rare, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about residential care? Like, so is there, like, residential places in Ireland? Like, I, Natasha, I swear to God, I wouldn't even know that there is. And a lot, a lot of residentials would be just in your neighbourhood, and you wouldn't even realise. And you wouldn't realise yeah. um, that they're there. You know, um, what can I say? Again, the kids that come through residential are absolutely amazing. The, these kids that come through the care system are just—they really are. Like the raising amazing is just—it's a great catchphrase because these kids are just so resilient. Um, they've been true been through I mean obviously not as babies as babies they mm-hmm. just know and they'll only know you Mary and your daughter that's mm-hmm. all he he'll know and obviously the big family around him um but I'd imagine from a seven-year-old or a four-year-old or a five-year-old do you know what I mean that you know because imagine now taking him out of your home yeah and putting him into like if anything had happened and for obviously not a five because we we really aim that nobody under 12 goes into residential you yeah. know and that's that's something that we've kind of mm-hmm. tried to stand over if it is a case that a young person has to go to residential care under 12, does it, uh, like, it goes up the chain, you know, there's so many people that have to sign off on it. But it's, like, the importance, I suppose, of foster care is that they go to a family. Now, that family might be one single parent. It might be two dads. It might be two mummies. It can be whatever way any race religion doesn't you know. have to be the standard new care no. kind of family it's yeah. a new care kind of family exactly whereas when you go to residential you might have four people on every every day so right. every day you will have four different staff members right. um, and I think kids in residential struggle from that point of view as in 
every day somebody different will collect them from school. Every day somebody different will bring them to school. Do you know? So it's so it's really important to get them into a, ho- a loving home yeah. with like nanny, granddad, mummy, daddy, like you know, yeah, whoever. And it is we, really, like, you know, the older the child gets, the harder it is to get yeah. placements for them. Yeah. Because I think, personally, Tasha, I think I would be, like, if I was to look at it, I would be like, and I know it's terrible that you don't want to be, like, saying, but this is what people think, that they go, because I'd rather, like, you know, I'd rather, that's even terrible to say, but I'd rather, you know, foster a baby or a smaller child Mm -hmm. rather than take a 12-year-old, you know, into my home where my other children are. I think, is there a little bit of fear with that, I think? or Possibly. And then as, as Nicole was explaining, those access visits and there's all those pieces that come along with fostering. Yeah. Um, but the, there is, like, we are doing our own, it's Dublin South Central recruitment campaign, and we start that next week. And anybody that is interested in fostering can register their interest on eventbrite.ie. And a, a lot of what you're asking is all about myth-busting. And yeah. It's, mm-hmm. It explains a lot about that. Nicole is very kindly going to help us out with that as well, yeah. as amazing as she is. Um, and it's, it's that's, I would urge people, if anybody ever, 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 even if the talk crossed their mind, mm. to join on eventbrite.ie. Get more information. You will, like... I, I'm a social care leader mm. on a fostering team of social workers. Right. Um, so they are much more experienced to give the information mm. that people need to hear. Um, I suppose I'm here. I thought I was coming here with the support to Mary and Nicole, mm. and I'm probably, I've been landed. Um, I've been not putting you in to do, <laughs> like, making you answer the questions <laughs> on that. But, the, but uh, you know, and I don't mind as much as I can, but I would just urge people, if anybody really, anybody out there ever thought of, could I do this? Is it for me? Mm-hmm. Just to register on Eventbrite.ie, yeah. to look, to see, to join the information session and hear exactly as you said, just a little bit more about what fostering entails. And the myths with it, because again, my um, my friend, uh, she did a podcast with me at the very start and she... Um, her, her mom fostered her, like I think it was, was it two or three children and they were her niece's children. Um, and then, fortunately, her man passed away um, about, God, Mary could be probably dead about five years, maybe. That's terrible if Natalie's listening to this, she'll kill me. Um, but then Natalie, because she died, they had to do the will to make that coal and um, the other fella would stay. In the family. In the family. In the family yeah. Because, like, because they wanted him to stay in the family. And now, like, she, she, like, Natalie's the same. She's like, my sister Nicole. My sister Nicole, she doesn't say that, like, that's our sister and our brother. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And how important for you, Nicole, was it that your sister and brothers accepted you? Um, well, that, that wasn't very hard for me at all. They accepted mm. me straight away. And like mm. that, it would have been my baby sister. I suppose when, it's, when, it's, when you get older and now all my... So my foster mom now has 16 grandchildren. Oh, my God. So, yeah, everyone has two kids except for my brother and my sister just had their third each. So, um, yeah, so there's 16. We, we've even amount of girls and boys now as well so um I suppose it gets more harder because like that my my sister's daughter so my niece would be like my best friend and we're very close in age so like that people would be like how does that work and you know and I'm like and then I go oh yeah well, like she's not my niece but like you know and I start to kind of explain them but I just the way I speak about it it's nearly like I'm, I'm expecting people to just go along with it and be like because because it's so real to me mm. and it's my reality mm. You know, and even like my nieces and nephews is what I call them. Like, you know, they 
you know, they would never see me like I'm I'm Auntie Cody and mm. that's it. Like, mm. you know, they don't see me as anything different or, you know, you get the odd, you know, curiosity of a child mm. when like, why do you call nanny mammy and stuff? Like, you know, mm. and not nanny the way we do as if mm. I'm like one of yeah. one of the nieces and yeah. nephews and stuff like that. But um but no, it was it was never hard. We we argued like sisters, we fighted like sisters mm. and brothers, you know. Um but there's there was always a lot of love there. They accepted me. Do you count your sisters? Every single day. Every single day. Like the two of them are like yeah, they're like my, my pride and joy. They really are. Like I don't think I would be half the woman I am today without the two of them. Like, you know, they would have just really encouraged me to be, you know, to be me and the be- the best version of me. Like I always say, like, you know, the the heroin, the addiction, that's their story. It's not mine. Mm. You know, so um so like that I did. I got to my leave insert. Because like that as well, you know, they some of my sisters and brothers didn't go to college and it's not like education was forced it was more that you're your own person and you can make your own path in life and that was really enforcing me and it was really like we're here for support for you and I'm a big believer of a child especially in foster care having that one I was lucky enough to have lots but have that one good adult in their life to really to be that voice of reason to be that encouragement to be like just because you come from there doesn't mean you can't do that you know Mm. so like that as I got older I did my leave insert and I was like no social care I need to know a little bit more about addiction I want to know a bit more I want to help kids who are in my position I want to be there I want to be that one good adult and that was my like driving force and like that they you know they were 112% behind me like you know every step of the way so I did a two-year PLC in social care and then I went on and I did my uh, four-year level a um, bachelor of arts degree then as well after and then I've been working as a social care worker ever since so and I love it I love the understanding I got from it and then I also love my my role then as well you know and even doing my placements as well getting to be in different you would do four placements in college I was lucky enough to get six because I did the PLC as well Mm. um but like that as well um sorry I was saying I was lucky enough to get those placements and you know have an impact on different people's lives and different services but like that as well having that PLC option there was less pressure on me get into education because I think as well that's another statistic I didn't want to be it was that not a lot of kids go on to not a lot of kids in foster care go on to further education and you know just because I didn't get a lot of points in my leaving cert I might have been very intellectual you know the PLCs are interview based you know you just need to pass your basics English, maths and Irish you get in based on your personality and why you want to do a course Mm -hmm. and I suppose it gets easier after school because it's something you want to do and something you're passionate in so like that I would have then you know really been that kind of one got out then for my biological sister and really encouraged her and she actually just started she left school no she finished school sorry and left school and she's in aftercare at the moment and she just started a, a level a plc as well in sna and she's loving it and she's thriving and i'm delighted for her because you know i just think it's just so important to have something after leaving cert and i kept saying to her as well like you know we're we're not we're not a statistic you know you can be who you want to be like foster care doesn't define you like you know we were in care and I suppose I would have always said at the time before Tusa became you know I would have been in, in care of the HSE you know and I would have and even saying that it's like you were you know you're owned by someone else yeah. and not your own person so um I would have always you know said that to her and encouraged her like you know just because you're from she'd be from a bit of a tougher area and I'm like just because you're from that area and just because no one around you Got, got further than leaving cert doesn't mean you can't like don't fall into that you know I'm a product of my environment because you're not mm. you know so I'm very proud of her as well yeah she's doing great and do you and her <laughs> ever have like really 
hard, hard conversations about. We've actually only had one recently. So she turned 18 and my foster dad, my dad, he's he's amazing. He is. And he was just like, Nicole, you know, she's probably getting bits and pieces of stories. She Her situation was completely different to me. And I, I'm, I thank my lucky stars that I had to go through what I went through that she didn't have to because she got taken out of one home and put straight into another. And because it was like that, it was relative, you know, that it was with dad's mom so dad could go in and out they have a great relationship to two of them and I would never you know to her it's um to her it's we talk all the time and it's that lie because I have to keep that up for her because I would never diminish that relationship that she has and I would never you know crush that figure she has in her head of you know and how much she loves him I'd never take that away from her so you know she had him in her life all the time he came and he went and um so like that horror she never knew any different she would I'd say be very grateful, like Mary's grandson, to be just seen as the, as the grandchild, you know, that mm. kind of way in the situation. There is no, like, you know, she called my nanny nanny. You know, she had her uncles and everything around her. So there was no, whereas when I went on access with ma'am and if my if my foster mom came with me, I would, you know, refer to her as her name, not say her name, because okay. I'd be so afraid of her and ma'am by calling someone else ma'am, you know, that kind of way. Whereas, you know, her situation was her situation. So, um it was only then when a few is questions... Is that important? Is that, sorry, is that important that, like, God, as a child, Jesus Christ, like, the you know, to be saying, oh, I don't want to ho-horn, and, you know, it's, and you're the one that's horting. Like, yeah. you're the oh, one that's horting. manage everybody's feelings. Yeah. yeah. I think I would always put their needs before mine. It's, I wouldn't even thought of me. I was just, like, always concentrated, like, well, don't call her, don't call her ma'am. Like, just call her, like, her name. Like, don't say it. And I would have been very conscious of that and stuff like that. And, um... Because like that, you know, she did. As much as I'm a big believer of you don't get your mother or father title from just giving birth or just, you know, being there. Like, you know, um, you know, she was my mom and I had to, I couldn't take that. Like, I was taken away from her. I couldn't take that privilege away from her. So I would have always. And still to the day, sometimes I'll always say, I won't say my mom. Like, I'll yeah, still kind of start to be like, oh, and she, well, she won't. Not that she would have corrected me. She would have just been like, well, don't forget I'm your mom too. Like, you know, and mm. like the having the two mammies kind of thing, like Mary mm. was saying. But no, I would have been very conscious not to not to hurt the, the feelings, like, you know, or to mention. They would have been always just, uh, you know, Betty and Paddy. Um, it wouldn't have been mom and dad. Well, when I was home now, mm. it was mom and dad, like, you know. And just what you said there about your sister, like... I, like, I do this all the time. I like, literally fall in love with my guests, like, you know what I mean? But, like, that you didn't want to damage her relationship with oh, her never. father. Never. Like, still to today, she just thinks, I'm like, oh, I only texted him yesterday. She's like, oh, right, right, right. And as much as it's terrible because I don't like to lie, I just like that I wouldn't, like, in, in other circumstances, say, burst her bubble, you know, yeah. you know, to say that there was ever, you know, that I had a different version of that person in my head. Like, you know, mm. I'd just go along with hers because you know that's what she grew up with and I suppose yeah. as well she would have been with my nanny and my nanny would have been a single carer at the time as well so she hadn't that was her father figure I was blessed enough to have to have a dad at home mm. like you know um and he was absolutely amazing like even when I had kind of questions growing up and stuff like that you know he'd always let me figure it out on my own that if I had any, any questions come to him or he'd give me a little bit of advice and you go back to him and be like that's what you meant by that like you mm. know he was very clever mm. you know and he, he still is he still is I ordered to him but I'm like that. She only kind of started having questions when she turned eighteen and aftercare and stuff like that. And I had a feeling, to be What's honest, with you. so when a child turns eighteen between the ages of eighteen and twenty-one, is that right? They get what's called aftercare. So it's like you are coming 
out of foster care right. and it's just that little bit of support to kind of get you out of your teenage years some children will choose to leave the foster home mm-hmm. at that age um and be would that be right they said housed by Tusla or yeah, yeah some kind of sense be, yeah. yeah you wouldn't be made homeless anyway you'd be mm. you'd have a plan with Tusla but I suppose from like age of 16, 16 aftercare, yeah. an aftercare worker is introduced and you generally develop an aftercare plan as to What's what happening happen at 18 approach yeah. your 18th birthday. My experience as in is that only since yeah. June, any kind of family that I've been in contact most with. Most kids don't leave. Most kids don't leave. Yeah, I never left. Do you know? I'm still there to today. And it's a stupid question to say, like, like it again, because like, I just don't know. I yeah. don't know. Like, no, the information uh, isn't there. Yeah. Like, do you go on to get adopted? So, or? personally for me, they would have loved to adopt me. They would have absolutely mm. loved me. But I think... From our personal situation and from what happened was that because uh, one of two parents, not for everyone, wasn't in cognitive mind to sign a contract, I could not be adopted. And at that stage, that was only kind of looked at when I was 16 and then I sure I was approaching 18 and it was too late. So, Is it important to you? Yeah, like it would. Okay. It, w- it would have been at the time, really. Mm. But like that, they'd say to me, you're my child. You'll always be my child. And my sister, like, you're always going to be my sisters and stuff. But um, no, it would it would have been quite important to me. But I know that that like a piece of paper is not going to matter. You know, I'm part of the family. Like you know, so. I can imagine as a teenager that they probably would be like, well, why don't you just adopt me? Do you know what I mean? Why? Mm. But as you said, if someone's not in the right frame of mind, I think there's certain things that like elements of signing the contract, isn't it? And, and kind of giving away them parental privileges as well. So and that's what happens. I think. No, don't. It's very, very different, I think, when you adopt somebody. And the process, I, I think, is slightly, you know, not slightly mm. different, but it is different. Mm. But when you adopt somebody, you're, they, you come in, like, you have responsibility for that child. Mm-hmm. Um, you sign off, I suppose, you know, if they need medical assistance or anything like that. Whereas when you foster... There, there is a social worker so you'll have two elements of social work involved you'll have mm. the child and care social worker who generally deals with the child and all the child's needs and you also have a foster and link worker mm. and they're the one that kind that's the team I'm on and that's the they're the one that kind of links it with the foster carers okay. and kind of help and do that supporting role so that you give the foster carers the space to talk about their placement it's, I don't like using the word placement mm. but what's going on for them if those issues arise and if they, they think that a bit of therapy might help the young person or the the child that they have or so that there's two very different elements to mm. fostering and adoption mm. again i as i said i'm not gonna yeah yeah no talk but just about like something you, i don't really know yeah, about but like what you said there, i remember having an operation as a child i was about to ask that like, and so, like that we needed mm. a signature from a biological parent yeah, because yeah. even though they were my guardians they for for something serious like that mm. you need a signature from a parent yeah, yeah. Because that's what I was about to ask, like with Mary, like if your, God forbid, your, you know, grandson broke his leg or that, would you have to inform, to, is it to two, two, two yeah. would you have to inform them? Um, I would have had to start, but once you turn five, I think you can do it yourself. Yeah. But, but if it's under five, Tusla has to be informed as well as the parents and stuff. But like that, if the parents is not available, Tusla yeah. has to be. But I think after so many years of fostering, when you have the child in your care, you can, mm. you yeah, don't have to keep no final, you know, like yeah. you have broken leg or arm or, you know, mm. there's no need to keep no fine. But I think it's five years you have to be in your I don't, care. I don't know about 
And what kind, like, do you feel, like, you know, as a foster carer that you, because this is the thing, again, when people can ask the questions when they, and again, we'll give the details throughout this podcast. Like, do you feel as a parent, um, as a foster parent, that you get that support from Tusla? Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm. They're always there. Oh, like, the link worker, the whole lot, they're always there at the other end of the phone. So if I have any queries, anything at all, I just give them a bell. Mm. Do you know, and I thank God now, I don't need them as much. We're fine. You know, we're, we're plodding along yeah. just nicely, kind of. But that's not to say, because he's only five now, that's not to say I not need no help in 10 years' time, mm-hmm. you know, when he becomes a teenager. And, and there's training yeah. involved. So as social care leaders, myself and another, my colleague more so than me, she, so she would kind of collate a plan of what what's coming up for foster carers and mm-hmm. what different types of training they might need and so there's there's lots and they she collates like a training calendar and mm. would send a text out to all our foster carers mm. and we'll give them lists of dates of trainings and they can log on or what be prior to covid it was you know you could yeah. face to face yeah, yeah. Oh, i'm actually laughing here because a few of them i would attend it yeah. and got a certificate for as well yeah because <laughs> yeah. i'd be like oh i'm going to that free training like yeah. when i was after 18 yeah, yeah. And, you know, so all that training is there. So, and it's like social, you know, training on if you have teenagers and how you handle social media mm. or, you know, if you have young babies, like those, the Solihull training, it's all about brain development and how the one good adult, this at the minute is huge. This is, you know, true all care, I think, or aspects mm-hmm. of care, this one good adult that statistics show if a child has one good adult in their life, it it just stands to them. Mm-hmm. It stand and they will always remember this one good adult. Um so a lot of training focuses around that as well. But there's training on it like I'm trying to think of like but I think even regardless of training, like I know my as I said before, my foster parents were like that bit older. So like if we had problems, say like for example when I was filling out, you know, the Susie Grant form to mm. get a grant to go into my PLC you know that the link worker would have come out yeah. helped us fill that in you know because they wouldn't have had a clue how to use a mm. laptop and stuff and some of my sisters were working and weren't available and stuff so like that when the query arised I felt like we we got the help yeah. we we would have needed you know that wouldn't necessarily been training around how to apply for college yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. you're a foster yeah. child but mm. like that when it come up um like that you had the phone number of a link worker just to call and to arrange that to kind of to happen well I felt from for my foster parents as well they would have been offered a lot of support and as you said there as well about the vulnerable children like now like we've got five thousand five and a half thousand <coughs> maybe six thousand children in care mm-hmm. but could you imagine the amount of vulnerable children that are still out there that are not in care yet yeah. and especially with COVID I think that haunts me a little bit does it you know yeah especially when the isolation happens and stuff like that and you know you're just well me thinking personally of being a child in care having to be, you know, locked in home and not being able to kind of get outside and having that fear and that anxiety around. I think that's why a lot of children going back to school as well have that anxiety of going back to school and getting back into routine because they've known no different than being, you know, in lockdown with the same people. But then you just don't know what's going on behind closed doors and in homes for some of these children. And like that, it could be, could be something, it could be nothing either. Like it could be just that... You know, like there's, there was a lot of kids and there's a few kids that didn't, you know, get the attention or the care that they needed or by the time it got, the mom got to them, there was nothing left, you know, that kind mm. of way. But you, your mind does wander, you're thinking, you know, how did these children in certain circumstances like mine get through a lockdown, you know, with it haunts, COVID? It? Yeah, it does. Mm. 
because I'm just thinking how I would have coped as a seven-year-old been locked down in a house like that and I suppose the boredom kicks in and not for me for the parents you know the boredom kicks in and what kind of happens in the home you don't like to really think about it don't you know yeah it's it's a lot it's a lot of kids it's more than I thought that's why I wrote it down here and brought it with me today because I just couldn't believe couldn't believe it like you know because I would sit on the foster care committee for South Dublin Central as well um, it's like my little side job <laughs> so um but like that we would see you know a lot of our <laughs> we would see a lot of our foster parents aging out now as well which is yeah. which is scary and I think that's why there's a lot of you know there is a big need for the foster carers out there because the good ones are you know have have done their time have <laughs> mm. seen their day and they you know have got to the end like I mean my foster parents now I would have stayed I was in long-term care with them so they had me all the way through uh, when I got to 18, I was still in care, even though I chose to remain at home because I was in full-time education. So I roughly only came out of care with them, well, care as you call it, in, you know, 2020, realistically, when I left it, when I left college. Um, so I like that all the way up. Um, so you just wonder who's, you know, what kids are lucky enough to get. More people like that. Do you think you can articulate it so well because then you went on to do social care like do you know yeah definitely I just think that I really helped with my own like to understand my own situation better you know mm. when you like that when you do psychology or you do um you know the many elements like that addiction studies and stuff I think it really helped me you know learn more about I suppose a lot of the whys were answered as well and then I suppose I always had that drive to you know to be that one good adult or to help out a child so I just now don't get me wrong it's not always what I knew I wanted to do that's why I did the PLCs mm. first the PLCs are great for you know they kind of do a wide spectrum of different things and but like because like that when I did level five I was like to my mom my my foster mom mm. I was like to her mom I don't know if this is for me and I was like why don't you do the six and see so I was like yeah I'll do the six and see mm. and all my friends from five went straight into the degree you know and mm. um, but like that I always wanted to make sure it was for me but then I kind of just fell in love with it as I went along you know, there's so many different areas in social care as well that you can get into. Um, is that an engagement ring on your finger? It is. It Tell is. me about that. So that was that was that was a big shock. That was um, I was with so my fiance Mark. Um, <laughs> we were 21 when we got engaged. We had a joint mm. 21st birthday party, and it was um, it was Easter when he when he proposed, and um, yeah, a big shock. And I thought, you know, like that, I was thinking. God, I'm going to have to get over the stigma of being in foster care now. I'm going to be the stigma of engaged at 21. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think for me it was quite lovely. You know, it's it's the whole, the sense of belonging. You know, the commitment on the finger. Now don't get me wrong, I have a good head on my shoulders. I want my mortgage first. <laughs> I'm not wasting my money on a, on a wedding. But um, below that, he's, he's very good to me. He's very loving. And I suppose I nearly had to do a, I nearly had to draw out a map of my family when oh. we first got together like this is who's that because yeah. it was like three sides of the family you know and this is who this is and stuff but he fitted in very well and you know everyone loves him and he has a bit of a head cold at home and mom is constantly on the phone to mom is in my foster mom you know going did you go to the doctor here? and you're looking after yourself and all and you know he gets more of the attention than I do now but um can I ask but, Nicole yeah. do you feel you deserve it like do you, do you struggle with deserving that love no because I got, because I got it, you know. It was more the reflecting back, been like, you know, every child should get that love, you know. They, they, you know, I. It wasn't. I know some kids that come into foster care, you know, would would struggle with the boundaries and the hugging, or you know, or even when you first when you get 
I suppose a child that's not a relative and you're in general foster care you don't know you're thinking of your boundaries yourself like can I hug this child or can I hold this child's hand and you know um but it is all about the love and I know there is a certain amount of you know child protection there and stuff like that but all a child needs is, is a hug and to be told that they're doing a good job and you know and for me it was more the routine it was having someone tuck me into bed wake me up in the morning bring me to school having a packed lunch bring me home and don't get me wrong you know, my foster parents didn't get past primary school, mm. so they wouldn't be able to help me with the homework or anything like that. Mm. But like that was just that dinner was on the table. It was, you know, it was it was the routine. I think a lot of kids in foster care miss that routine. Um, but yeah, the love was always there. So I would have always feel not that I deserved it, but you know that like, you know that I was very grateful for. You know, can I ask? You, and I'm going to ask you, and I won't ask you, Natasha, mm-hmm. um, just because you've experienced it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did get a couple of. DMs, a couple of messages from people saying to me, um, oh my God, sorry, oh, Paul kill me for that. Um, but I, I did get a couple of DMs saying to me, have you ever done one on fostering? Would you do one on fostering? Would you, you know, um, because they didn't have a good experience mm-hmm. and they wanted to come on and talk about that. And so I know they'd be listening because I did go back and I said, mm-hmm. I'm actually going to do one about, about fostering. Um, so does it always not turn out the success that you've absolutely i mm-hmm. honestly hand on heart can say i would um would consider myself a bit a bit rare like in terms of you know um the positivities there's there's kids you know out there that haven't got that stability that will you know unfortunately not get on in one foster home and be moved to the next one and be living out of one bag and you, you hear the horror stories and stuff but i suppose then you wonder how many people with my story that I suppose has started off negative, but is completely positive, I promise. Um, you know, how many of them actually out there getting the opportunity like me today to tell their positive stories? Mm-hmm. And because there's children like me who get so comfortable in their foster home and don't know any different, and this is my home, you know, that they're the stories you don't hear. And I suppose that's why, like I said to Natasha, absolutely I want to come on today, because like that I might have a few negatives in my story and a few bumps along the road, but, you know, without having, like, my two foster carers, I wouldn't be where I am today and my story could have been completely different and I suppose it's all about that it's it's getting you know people who care and want to give you that care and um, so I absolutely empathize with a lot of them people out there who don't have a positive story and I do I do like consider myself very lucky to be able to sit here and tell a positive story and not have much you know have experienced much trauma mm. you know and you think also like whether it's they've been through trauma or not um well they obviously have to be in mm-hmm. the situation that they're in but also it's down to yourself as well oh 100 percent. like that i did have people motivating me but at the end of the day it was it was my decision to make you know whether i wanted to kind of go on but then it's like that's how they raised me you know Mm. as well as how i was raised i was raised to you know to make good decisions and to be the person i wanted to be and to not be that statistic or not to be worried about that stigma and you know and to just to get as far as i want to get with my career so um i suppose it's like even though it was me as well it's also you know like that the people around you you know that can encourage you to be like just because you were in care doesn't mean you can't don't do this find, like yeah. they threw me a big huge 18th birthday party and it wasn't even turning 18 it was the fact that i was out of care but i wasn't i knew it wasn't but at that age i was like you know you're not you don't have to kind of carry this story around even though it'll always be my story mm. but like that they wanted to celebrate that that you've done 18 years you know well not 18 <coughs> full years but like you know got to 18 and the majority of that was in care um, so like that was even a, turned into a success for me mm. and that was celebrated for me it wasn't going oh you're 18 today and you're you know Karen what's the plan it was never like Nicole was going to leave it was like we're celebrating this 
and we like new chapter for you like you know that kind of way so um, it's definitely the people you have around you around you as well and you said there and again I want to bring Mary in a little bit just mm-hmm. to d- the final few words because we'll finish up and we'll go through the bits and pieces um, that the good foster parents are like all foster parents are good but like the ones that are aging out mm-hmm. and that's a huge concern is it yeah, definitely. And hence to drive next yeah, week. the campaign. There is National Recruitment Week will happen, I reckon, towards the end of January. Um, and that's, as I said, nationally. So mm. it's a whole, it's a countrywide thing. Um, generally, I think foster, National Foster Care Week mm-hmm. takes place around October and... But we've decided this year we're going to move it forward. Yeah, and I think COVID messed up a lot of stuff. COVID messed up a lot of stuff, yeah. (laughs) Um, So we've decided that we were going to plough ahead with ours, particularly um, in Dublin South Central. Just, again, exactly as you said, a lot of foster carers are ageing now. Um, There's not an interest, I suppose, in... Not that there's not an interest. People aren't picking up the phone. People mm-hmm. aren't kind of, even if you think about it or, you know, if, so, if it's something that crossed your mind, they're not picking up the phone or they're not kind of saying, okay, give me a little bit more information. Mm-hmm. So that's, I suppose, why we've decided, we were hoping to hold to face-to-face on mm-hmm. um, information sessions. Um, but unfortunately, given the numbers that have kind of shot up over the last couple of weeks, we've had to pull it back and put them both online. Um, but you think, Natasha, that people don't know unless like it lands on your door like it did yeah. for Mary that people are going oh I'd like like and I know this now is helping but before this and before the campaigns do you not think that like because if I seen an ad in the telly like I'd go oh god yeah may, maybe I do that but I wouldn't even know where to begin yeah and I suppose that's what we're doing that's what we're putting out there Um, we've tele- um newspaper ads and radio ads going out next week and it's just informing people of these online information sessions that we're doing and it is a lot of it is myth busting mm, it's yeah. you know that you don't have to be married it doesn't have to be a man and a woman it can be two men or two women or you can be on your well. own yeah um, you know you don't have to have a big mansion it, it, we're looking to keep kids within their communities mm. so it is within local communities and we're just urging people to register come on if it's something that you think and you might by the end of the information think no it's not for me mm. or you might think actually this is something that I can do it's something mm. that you know and then the social worker will be involved then and mm. they'll be able to give you more information about the process and it is a lengthy process and mm. um, but like that I just urge people to pick up the phone and I think a lot of people would have the same questions as yeah. well and yeah. they think like yeah oh I don't know like like yourself mm. uh, you're, you're saying they're like oh I wouldn't know that but then there's a lot of people out there probably thinking the exact same thing yeah. and you don't know until you get your questions answered because like that my my sisters and all that would have wouldn't have thought about you know fostering because like mm. that they weren't aware that now because they're urging for so many you know foster carers that you can do it on your own mm. you know and you can do it you know to so many different ways that you can you know, become a foster carer. And I think that's where the kind of, just the lack of information is for people yeah. as well. I also think with foster kids, I don't know, but, me, but I used to, I think you're older people. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, no, do you know what I mean? Sorry, Mary, but you know what I mean? Like, that you, I'd always think, you know, uh, but she, she does that because she's, like, she's older. Like, I would never have thought that me as a 40-year-old woman would be, a, like, would be able to do it. Do you know what I mean? Or, you know, people out there who, possibly can't have families and all that they could change so many children's lives mm-hmm. yeah. by being foster care parents yeah, yeah. and I don't think I don't I don't think people re- I don't think that registers with people that yeah. they could be changing kids lives 
and, and that's I think why, even, like we're saying, yeah. can you help a child? Can you raise them amazing? Mm-hmm. And then some people do think, oh, like, you know, if I did, like I said, the respite, I'm only getting a child for, you know, a few days and stuff like that. But I promise you, that could be a, a tough week for that child and then a few days is just a little bit of, re- like, you know, of reality. A little bit of a holiday for them, a little bit of a taste of what they could have. And it's, you know, as much as you don't like to, you know, give the child back or send the child back, that could just be what that child needs. What the family and that little space And what the yeah. family needs too, yeah. That's heartbreaking. That's I, I literally that's that to catch mm-hmm. me. Do you know what I mean? That why are we so selfish with our thoughts? That I know, like I know we're like, oh my god, and I, you know, you have a child with you for five days, or have a child with you for ten days, and they, you have to send them back. But actually, you've done that child like yeah. probably the biggest favor. Yeah. yeah. Or the parents even because mm-hmm. that's you know, mm-hmm. if if it's a parent that's struggling even. You know, again, even the likes of day, you know, community foster carers. That For me, being somebody new mm-hmm. to foster care, that's what stuck out to me. Do you know, that I think there's so many families in so many areas that could be helped. And the children could nearly avoid coming into care mm-hmm. on a permanent mm-hmm. basis if those little pieces were in place to support families. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that that stuck out for me. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I would have been like I'm. I'm doing the. I I'm working for Tuesday and before the HSE in the southwestern mm-hmm. area. But I've been doing this. I've been in working in care for 20, nearly twenty two years, um, and I never knew this side of fostering. Do you know? I knew of foster because mm-hmm. you know there would have been young people that would have kind of had foster placement breakdowns and stuff like that, but. I didn't know the ins and outs of fostering. Mm. I didn't know you could do day fostering or short-term fostering or respite or long-term fostering. Yeah. I didn't know that those were options for people. I didn't even either till college and I was in it. Mm. <laughs> I was like, I just would have just known it as I was in care, like, you yeah. know, so. Mary, I'll leave you with your final word on it. What would you say to anyone out there thinking about doing it? Pick up the phone. Inquire, ask if it's for you, and I'd say it is for you. You just don't know it yet, mm-hmm. you know. And especially like that, if you have someone on your own, it's com- it's company for you also. You know, mm-hmm. as you say, there's plenty out there that can't have their mm-hmm. own kids. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, definitely pick up the phone, inquire if it's for you, and you'll never look back. Defo, I love that. I know she's off camera, but if you could see her now, she's like (laughs) an eight angel sitting there, absolutely glowing. Um, And Nicole, final word for you. Um, Can I ask you, would would you become a foster carer? Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I'd love to do it. But like that, I'm still at home at the moment, so. (laughs) But yeah, no, I definitely would. Um, And I've actually spoke to him about it as well. And I think it's just, I've just known like that if it's something... Maybe if I couldn't commit to it all the time, if like that, if it's just a respite or a short term, that you're making some sort of a difference, you know. Um, but absolutely, good. That one good adult. adult. Yeah. That's so what important. we need to do. So tell me now, let's finish up here and see what we have to say. So it's there next week, or this week, going out this week. Yeah. So we're pre-recording this, everyone knows it's pre-recorded the week before. Um, so it's going out the 29th of November. The, week of the 29th of November. Okay. Dublin South Central Fostering Recruitment Campaign. Um, we're doing two online sessions. So we're doing the first one on the 1st of December at 7.30 till 9pm. Um, and then the next morning, the 2nd of December, 
were doing 11 till 12.30 a.m. Um, for anybody interested, I would just, or just to register you as a details on eventbrite.ie. It's free to do it. Um, and and we'll I said, be there. We'll be there, yeah, we'll be there. Um, we do have a foster carer there as well, willing to come. Um, and exact, and there'll be a social or fostering social worker. So it's what Nicole has in front of her is kind of very much. We do a little presentation about statistics and numbers and a little bit about um, the assessment and mm. stuff like that, and then training that's involved. But then again, it's like questions put to Nicole um, and questions put to the foster carer. And it's, as Nicole said, it's very much the same, you know, it's the same questions that come up. Mm-hmm. People, we just say to people, you know, no question is a silly question mm-hmm. because if you're thinking it, if you ask if somebody else is thinking mm-hmm. it, yeah. um, so then that they're the things or else if, if it's not a case that you can make those online sessions, does fostering.ie, um, you can speak to a social worker there or there's a free phone number. It's 1800 226 771. And I suppose just, I, I observed one of these online information sessions a couple of weeks ago for Dublin North and um, Ballymoon and one of the foster carers there said something and it stuck with me and I just thought it was a, a just... You know what I'm mm-hmm. going to say, um, because I've said it to, to the guys that's doing this, and she just said, you know, somebody asked about challenges that they may face, and she said, like, it comes, but you face it the way you would with your own children. She said something that she sticks by is patience and kindness, rinse and repeat, and I just thought that was lovely. Patience and kindness, rinse and, and repeat, repeat. Yeah. and on that note, we'll end it there, ladies. Thank you all so much for sitting down with me. And you know what? If we can change one child's life through this. And um, as I said, I would urge everybody. We'll put the contact details out and we'll post it and we'll have all the information there. Um, But thank you all for coming to my house tonight to sit down and talk about it. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.